Hey, it's Jordan with Status Quo. Uh, delighted to be joined uh, by Dr. Dan Wilson. Uh, Dr. Wilson, you are a uh, molecular uh, biologist uh, mm -hmm. that covers uh, a lot of things in terms of uh, COVID, among other topics. You have a YouTube channel, Debunk the Funk, uh, which mm -hmm. I recommend people subscribing to. Uh, and you have been swatting, a swatting away a lot of uh, misinformation, uh, like flies, and there's a lot of it. Uh, first, yep. can you kind of describe uh, for the layman uh, what molecular biology is and kind of what all that entails? Yeah, sure. So molecular biology is kind of a broad field of biology where essentially we're looking at how the molecules of life work in a cell. So proteins, DNA, RNA, lipids, sugars, carbohydrates, all those things perform specific functions in cells and molecular biologists just generally study how that works. And before COVID, uh, obviously there were anti-vaxxers and cranks and, you know, uh, on a variety of things. But to me, it seems that since COVID uh, became a, a tragic event a few years ago, um, it's almost been like this renaissance for anti-vaxxers, conspir conspiracy theorists, et cetera, et cetera. Not that there's, mm -hmm. you know, no credence in uh, scrutinizing science or, you know, facts presented. But before we get into the particulars, um, have you seen anything like this in terms of just the hamster wheel of misinformation, lies, and as we're going to see, just basic misunderstanding of how to even read studies, data, mm -hmm. uh, and people just kind of casually uh, creating false narratives? Yeah, I mean, I think that has been around for a long time. All of those things you mentioned have been present um, in one form or another in one field or one topic or another. But yeah, since COVID has entered the scene and kind of made it so that infectious disease is now affecting people's lives, there are policies uh, forming around it, governments are getting involved. Now people are kind of, as you said, revitalizing all of that, all of those things when it comes to anti-vaccine sentiment. Um, so anti-vaxxers were around before COVID. And I actually, when I started my YouTube channel just before COVID, I wanted to just cover anti-vaxxers. And I thought that, oh, you know, I'll have maybe a couple hundred subscribers and it'll be a fun side project for me. Um, but now, you know, it's grown into this explosion of misinformation and disinformation that uh, I didn't really see coming at the outset of starting my channel. So, right. Uh, yeah. But I think it's, I think it is kind of familiar. Yeah. Uh, in the spirit of uh, not keeping you for five hours, I, I kind of want to do a lightning round of just the, the top, uh, you know, conspiracies we've been hearing uh, that they say, you know, uh, the, Russell Brands of the world, Jimmy Doors of the world, Dr. John Campbell, uh, Robert Malone, et cetera, et cetera, that uh, they've advocated for. I want to start with uh, vitamin D, which is a good thing uh, to take uh, for a variety mm -hmm. of reasons. Uh, most people, I think, uh, in North America are, you know, in some way deficient vitamin D wise, but it's kind of taken on a life of its own that people have advocated that this whole time, uh, if people would have jacked up the amount of vitamin D they take, that it could have prevented 
getting COVID or limited uh, the consequences, uh, you know, limited deaths, hospitalization of vitamin D. Uh, is there any, you know, peer reviewed uh, ample studies that that show that? <clears throat> yeah. So with the vitamin D topic, um, there are a lot of weird things that conspiracy theorists will say about it that are wrong. Uh, but then it's also important to know that there are some things about vitamin D that are true uh, and helpful. So I'll just start with what's wrong. Um, Anti-vaxxers often like to say that the efficacy of vitamin D against COVID was suppressed because it doesn't make big pharma money. Um, that's not true. Um, vitamin D, one, doesn't work in treatment of COVID. And two, it would have made a ton of money for companies that sell it. And pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies can sell vitamins if they so choose. Um, but vitamins in it, in it, on their own are billion-dollar industries uh, in America alone. So they're, they'd be a big moneymaker if they were an answer to an imminent pan pandemic. So the claim that uh, vitamin D treats COVID um, is also, as I said, wrong. Uh, it's kind of trending on the internet right now thanks to John Campbell, who reviewed a review of vitamin D. Um, and the review of vitamin D was looking at studies that used vitamin D to treat COVID patients. And so the study claims to have looked at five randomized controlled trials. Um, one of them was not a randomized controlled trial. So that's a big oopsie for the authors. I, it's honestly a really big mistake. I don't know how that got through. Uh, but the other four, um, are all very small. Um, three of them are fewer than 100 people. One of them is about, uh, I think it was just over 200 people. That one over 200 people showed no efficacy. The other three with fewer than 100 showed efficacy. So that alone is not very convincing, but for some reason, the authors of that review did not include a a very large randomized controlled trial, which involved about uh, 3,100 people that convincingly showed that vitamin D does not treat COVID. So if you're sick with COVID and you start taking vitamin D, there's no evidence that it's going to help you get better faster or prevent more severe outcomes or anything like that. So that's all kind of what's wrong with the way anti-vaxxers are looking at vitamin D. And I also, I also want to point out, because this is common on your channel, Debunk the Funk, mm -hmm. uh, I've seen a trend where Dr. John Campbell and others, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, they, they just forget um, to, to prove a point or support whatever argument they're making. They cite studies, but they leave out a lot of other studies that probably are, are you know, more... Uh, you know, more people in the study, better data, more peer reviewed that do not mm -hmm. support their point. Right. It's, it's a tactic called cherry picking. Um, you know, scientific literature is a large body of several different pieces of work from several different groups from all over the world. And if you're going to look into a field and ask a question, you should be looking at several papers and seeing, okay, you know, what are the questions each paper is asking? How well does the paper answer that question? And are they 
consistent with other papers that did the same thing. And John Campbell doesn't uh, do that. Um, there are several examples where he will claim that a certain treatment is effective against COVID, but conveniently not cover any randomized controlled trial on his channel that uh, convincingly shows that it doesn't work for COVID. Right. Um, I want to start with Jimmy Dore because I think he uh, perhaps, you know, even more than John Campbell uh, in the political realm uh, where I cover has a lot of people listening to him. Uh, he proclaims to be, you know, kind of a pothead comedian, um, but seems to talk about COVID like, like he should be listened to and he, he knows what he's talking about. And I want to start with this clip because I think it shows um, not just Jimmy, but anybody, including myself. It's very, it's very, um, in this clip, it's actually, he should know uh, the difference mm -hmm. between percentages and uh, other things, but uh, it shows it's it's not necessarily easy to understand scientific studies. I mean, most people that really get it are, you know, went to school for this. Uh, it's very mm -hmm. easy to get confused uh, by scientific studies, but people like Jimmy and others seem to think they, you know, are scholars and understand scientific studies and are routinely just confusing or worse, you know, basic concepts. I'll, I'll start with this, uh, as you pointed out in a video on your channel, uh, where Jimmy uh, seems to not get uh, the difference between percentages or uh, per a study that's per 100,000 people. So here's this chart. Unvaccinated still die at a much higher rate. The share of deaths among vaccinated people has risen. But the rate of death is still many times higher among unvaccinated people. In January and February, unvaccinated people died at about seven times the rate of fully vaccinated and 20 times the rate. I don't like when they use that 20 and 10 times. That's a deceitful number. When they, when they tell you that instead, why don't they give me the raw data? What percentage of people died? Jimmy, Jimbo, Jimothy, you seem confused. Here, read the graph and you'll see that it is a rate per 100,000. It is not a percent, but you could get a percent from that if you really wanted to calculate it. The fact that this is a rate per 100,000 people literally means that unvaccinated people did die at 20 times the rate of vaccinated people when it comes to COVID. This is literally as simple as reading the graph in front of you. I don't know why this is a hard ask from someone with a large audience talking about this stuff who claims to know what he's talking about. Man. Is that what it says down there by your arm? It's like 0.2%, 0.4, 3.4. Is that what that means, those numbers? So yeah, so 0.04% to 0.34%. That's right. So the fully vaccinated died at 0.4%, and the unvaccinated, according to this, uh, were 3.4%. So that's an increase of about 3%. No, Jimmy, this is a rate per 100,000 people graph. This is not a percent graph. The figures that you're pointing to show that at the tail end of the Omicron wave, unvaccinated people were dying at 8.5 times the rate of vaccinated people. And at the peak of the Omicron wave, it was 20 times more death for unvaccinated relative to vaccinated. And if you look at the line for three doses, it's even better than for two doses, which is consistent with every other data set that we have. The bottom line is, forgetting the actual topic, you could tell that he's basically trying to figure it out, like during the video. Uh, you mm -hmm. could tell, like, yeah, three, you know, three percent, this and that. Um, 
so if somebody like for me, I might have trouble with something like that. I did not do well in math as, as a student, so I wouldn't do a video on it. I would not pretend that I know what I'm talking about. I might have somebody like you on, but we see this with Jimmy and these others constantly that they, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, just in good faith are misunderstanding or misinterpreting, but they're doing whole videos on it with controversial, sensational headlines, which then go viral to, I don't know, minimize, you know, uh, that try to make it seem like it's not so much worse if you're unvaccinated. Can you kind of describe in that case, he obviously doesn't know the difference or how to read the graph, but you see this time and time again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I. It's hard to really pinpoint why particular people do what they do. Like, yeah, we can say, okay, in good faith, maybe he's just confused or maybe he's doing it on purpose. I don't, we don't know, but you know, he's getting something out of it. He's some core of his belief system resonates with the idea that uh, COVID vaccines aren't working and that they're manipulating data. So that's what he portrays on his, on his show. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that so many people like him do that kind of thing where they don't have expertise in a field or they don't really have any really even basic knowledge in interpreting data, but they just try to, um, you know, it, th there's a really good book, uh, the death of expertise, which kind of explains this phenomenon where because people have access to a lot of information on the internet, they can kind of get this skewed sense of their, um, their, the assuredness of their knowledge, um, in any one field, even if they don't really know much about it. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting topic, but, uh, and it's also not just him, but I've seen this trend and I've seen this in journalism too, from really shitty journalists where it's, you've drawn your conclusion first uh, and yeah. you're trying to find facts to then support that conclusion. So mm -hmm. you've drawn the conclusion for whatever reason that, um, there's no diff there's no real difference between being unvaccinated and vaccinated or the vaccine is bad. And now you're just fishing around for facts to support it, which leads to in journalism, bad journalism, or in whatever this is, uh, misinformation. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's, it's not a scientific approach. Uh, a scientific approach would be, you know, you have a hypothesis, let's say, let's say his hypothesis is that there's no difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated. Okay, fine. Let's test that. And how do we test that? You do everything you can to disprove that hypothesis so that at the end of your work, your experiments, whatever analyses you're doing, you are going to either accept or reject your hypothesis. Uh, but you do everything you can to try to reject it before you accept it. Right. Absolutely. I uh, want to move on to another popular one. Uh, this has been not just Jimmy, but many others um, that ivermectin is the uh -huh. holy grail and should have been the early treatment uh, for COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. This one is Jimmy on uh, Joe Rogan, uh, you know, oh, one of the largest shows in the world. I think 11 million people listen mm -hmm. uh, last time I checked. Uh, let's take a listen to Jimmy on Joe Rogan's show. About uh, like, <laughs> can we talk about yeah. ivermectin? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's, it, I covered it, what they did in Mexico City 
Mm-hmm. And ivermectin seems to be a drug that not only treats it, but it will prevent you from getting it. So, yeah, he's just casually on Joe Rogan uh, saying that ivermectin will prevent you from getting it uh, or, you know, treat it uh, from getting it. Uh, he cites a Mexico Mexico City study. I mean, I could uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically that Mexico City study was redacted um, that he's talking about. Um because it was just really completely shoddy. Um, This is from uh, the BMJ. Uh, The government of Mexico Mm -hmm. City handed out nearly 200,000 ivermectin-based kits last year uh, to people who had tested positive for COVID-19. Oh, there you go. Um, The government of Mexico City handed out nearly 200,000 ivermectin-based kits last year to people who had tested positive for COVID-19 without telling them they were subjects in an experiment on the drug's effectiveness. The results of that experiment were then written up by public officials in an article placed on popular U.S. preprint server, uh, SOC Arvik. Uh, Arxiv. It became one of the site's most viewed articles claiming that ivermectin had reduced hospital admissions by 52 to 76 percent. But those officials have been under fire at home uh, since Arxiv withdrew the paper earlier this month, calling it either very poor quality or else deliberately false and misleading. Um, To Rogan's sort of credit, he, after Dorr said that, kind of said we need more data, this and that. Um, Mm -hmm. But we know Rogan has pushed his own uh, COVID insanity. Um, mm-hmm. Not just door casually, in my view, recklessly saying that because a lot of people will then take it. Um, it does have, you know, tr- um, it is prescribed for some human um, ailments like parasites, but typically uh, is used uh, for animals. But uh, could you describe a what Dorr said and be the overall ivermectin as a treatment for mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah. So, I mean, you pretty much covered what Dorr said. He cites a city, uh, a study from Mexico city uh, that was retracted and it was, it had ethical concerns and uh, concerns about fraudulent data. So uh, he just cites it without really doing his due, due diligence in checking whether or not it's a quality study that has valid conclusions. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much par for the course for Jimmy, I think. But uh, when it comes to ivermectin overall, uh, yeah, it, it just does not work against COVID. Uh, it, at the beginning, you know, at the outset of COVID-19 pandemic and when it was suggested that, hey, why don't we test to see whether or not ivermectin can treat it? That wasn't a crazy idea. We were testing all sorts of drugs to see if anything we had on our shelves could already treat COVID. Um, and so it we moved forward with testing and several randomized control trials were done using ivermectin to try and treat COVID patients. They tried to see if it would prevent cases, if it would prevent people from progressing to the hospital, if it could save people who had already been in the hospital, improve their outcome. And the answer on all those fronts just was no. It just didn't work in randomized controlled trial after randomized controlled trial. It just didn't work. And yeah, that's unfortunate because it's a cheap drug and it would have been great if it worked, but it doesn't. We have to follow the data. And could you talk about this? It's like twisted logic to me that the reason people like you or the uh, big pharma cabal is uh, pushing against ivermectin is because 
uh, it won't make big pharma money. But <laughs> last time I checked, ivermectin is made by Merck, yeah, one mm -hmm. of the giants of big pharma. And yeah. uh, I don't know, it seems logical to me that if it did work, Merck would be pushing it and probably jacking up the costs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I exactly. mean, this is just one example, but ivermectin doesn't help COVID, but generic drug makers are cashing in because mm -hmm. of this misinformation that it does help. Uh, can you kind of talk about, I don't really get where it became this thing that ivermectin and you know vitamin D and these other things aren't under big pharma. I mean, you take Tylenol, that's big pharma. I mean, it's yeah. you don't penalize the medicine, you penalize the system for exploiting uh, for profit's sake. But if ivermectin, if ivermectin worked, wouldn't big pharma be pushing it? Yeah, they would. Uh, you're right. Merck is a very large producer of ivermectin. And if there was suddenly a huge demand for it in the midst of this imminent pandemic that is changing everyone's lives, if it worked and people needed it, Merck would make tons and tons of money because not only would a lot of people need it, but people would constantly need it because a, a treatment like ivermectin, if it did work for COVID, it wouldn't make COVID go away. It would just help people not get sick from it. So every time someone got infected, they would want ivermectin. So it would just keep selling and selling. But I mean, that didn't happen because ivermectin just doesn't work. And yeah, I don't know why people have this perception that because, because it doesn't work and because pharma isn't going to use it, there must be some reason that pharma is actually suppressing it. It just doesn't make any sense. And I, I think where it comes from is the peddlers of ivermectin, you know, the people like uh, Pierre Corey or John Campbell, um, they, they not only will claim that it works, but they will also throw claims around that there is intentional suppression. And so these conspiratorial stories, I think, resonate with people who are prone to believing in conspiracy theories. And so they just accept those people with the letters in front of their name saying these things at face value because it's a more exciting story in a way that where the pharma is this big bad guy that's suppressing this miracle drug and these renegade few doctors are fighting the system. I mean, that's kind of how I rationalize it um, or perceive kind of why that belief is so attractive to so many people. But it, it's just totally contradictory to reality where, yeah, pharma could make tons of money off ivermectin if it worked, but it just doesn't. Well, also, I mean, it's easy to conflate because, I mean, I, I'm very critical of the pharmaceutical industry. I, I believe mm -hmm. in Medicare for all, not, not to get too political, mm -hmm. but it's easy to conflate with people that already have grievances, righteous grievances with the pharmaceutical industry or the military industrial complex, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And to then kind of lean into or prey on their mistrust of those industries and conflate it with the actual medicine. Because like, yeah. for example, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, wasn't it Eli Lilly or some uh, that st stopped uh, certain monoclonal antibodies because it didn't work anymore against, oh. uh, I think it was Omicron. 
Um, yeah. It, yeah. Like they're doing it not out of benevolence because people are going to realize it doesn't work and they can't make money off of things that do not work. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And, and yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, yeah. There are lots of genuinely bad things about big pharma, but uh, you know, you can't conflate, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Pharma does make products that work and treat people and make lives better. Pharma is also a company that wants to make money. And so, yes, there is going to be history of corruption with certain companies, certain crimes. Sure. But you can't deny the fact that they also make drugs that work. So you have to have some system within your own reasoning, within your own critical thinking to parse the two. Okay. You know, you can't say every case is going to be like um, um, morphine and uh, Oxycontin painkillers. Uh, but not every case is also going to be like, um, you know, insulin. Not every case is going to be completely life-saving and great, and not every case is going to be uh, super shady and uh, cause a lot of death. Right. Uh, let's go to Mr. Campbell, who uh, has become a huge um, oh, yeah. figure. Uh, your video pointed out that before COVID, you know, he got certain, you know, certain amount of views, nothing crazy. Uh, but all of a sudden, when he started uh, kind of asking questions and pushing ivermectin, among other mm-hmm. things, he kind of blew up. Um, I want to show this uh, part of one of your videos that looks into his trying to push this natural immunity versus mm-hmm. vaccination, um, because there's been a huge push uh, among anti-vaxxers. Well, don't get vaccinated because if you've already had COVID, then then you're covered under natural immunity. Um, Let's take a look. All of the included studies found at least statistically equivalence between the protection of full vaccine and natural immunity. So same, same, that they are the the same in this data. And three studies found superiority of natural immunity, as this study here looks at a lot of different different cases, a pretty thorough uh, piece of work it is, in fact. Okay, so this review article published in the BMJ is what John Campbell focuses on for his entire video, and he claims that it is thorough, but it is not. It is lacking some key papers published on this topic, papers that were published long before it was even written. So the fact that he's claiming that it's thorough either shows that he's not up on the literature or he just doesn't care and was really sloppy and lazy in this video, which... I'll let you decide which is true in this case. So what does John choose to highlight in this paper and why does it not reflect the literature? Let's start to answer those questions. Vaccinations recover people is of marginal benefit on an absolute basis. This is really easy to demonstrate as false. It's been known for a long time that those who recovered from COVID and got just a single dose of mRNA vaccine have a much better immunity than before, before they got the vaccination. This was given the term hybrid immunity, and regardless on how you feel about that term, it was shown that hybrid immunity has a much, much better neutralizing breadth profile than those who just got infected and did not get vaccinated. In other words, even in recovered individuals, those who got vaccinated had a much wider breadth of memory B cells and memory T cells able to fight a much wider array of SARS-CoV-2 variants, which in a world where SARS-CoV-2 variants are still coming out because 
most of the world is still dealing with cases, that's pretty important. But John doesn't seem to mention any of that literature here, which is a huge, huge miss. You were right in saying that um, everything you read generally says that um, having both an infection and vaccination is best. And that's generally true. Um, So let me just uh, break down the different scenarios. Um, either you, either you receive vaccination and then you get infected and that infection boosts your pre-existing immunity. Yeah. While that pre-existing immunity protects you from severe disease, um, or you have no pre-existing immunity, you get infected. You are then at higher risk of progressing to severe disease And yeah, you walk away with immunity, but you put yourself at all that risk. And then your immunity is still not as good as someone who has gotten three doses of mRNA vaccine. Um, It's only when uh, data kind of suggests that if you get one vaccine dose and one infection, that looks like your immunity then looks like uh, if you got three doses, but you have to survive the infection and, you know, not ideally not go to the hospital or end up with long COVID or anything like that. So it's just better to get those three doses of, of vaccine, have that broad immune memory so that you can deal with SARS-CoV-2 when it infects you. Um, the whole idea of just, just get natural immunity never made sense because you kind of have to catch the virus to get natural immunity. And that kind of defeats the purpose of protecting yourself against the virus with natural immunity. So, and also there's new strands and variants. So the immunity you have might be stronger towards the strand that you contracted, whereas not as protective against, you know, name your future variant. Right. Right. If you get, so yeah, if you if you had gotten infected with Delta back in the Delta wave, and then Omicron came along, you might not have much um, much uh, immunity toward Omicron. Uh, your immunity at least would not be nearly as good as if you had just gotten three doses of vaccine, which uh, after each dose will train your immune system to be better and better at recognizing SARS-CoV-2. And Yes, that immune response would include Omicron, even though the mRNA vaccine encodes the ancestral Wuhan strain. Your immune system has these mechanisms called um, somatic hypermutation and B cell maturation in germinal centers, which will select for better and better antibodies over time. And yeah, after three doses, that immune memory will expand to able to recognize the sites on Omicron that are the same in Delta. So it's just better to go the go with the path of less risk and get vaccinated rather than hoping that your immunity can uh, fight off SARS-CoV-2 without any prior training. There's another part of that video that you did where he is trying to say that official death certificates uh, there is relatively small number of deaths 
that have COVID listed as the only cause of death, kind of Mm -hmm. making it seem like COVID has actually killed a much smaller number of people that we've been led to believe. And Mm -hmm. you kind of explained he doesn't know the basics of how death certificates work. We come to this idea that COVID-19 death certificates that only list COVID as the cause of death are the only true COVID deaths. This comes down to a deep and basic misunderstanding of how death certificates are filled out. John Campbell should know this. He should know better. And I've made several videos before on this channel debunking this same exact claim. But let's hear what he has to say about it, and then I'll respond. I'm doing this as a single video because I'm still processing this information. It's really quite, it's really quite profound. Now, this is from a freedom of information request. Deaths from COVID-19 with no other underlying cause. In other words, people that were otherwise healthy, that don't have heart disease, that don't have lung disease, that don't have diabetes, and yet died of COVID-19. This is so bad. I honestly don't know whether or not John Campbell is purposely misleading his audience for views at this point. I just don't know. What he doesn't seem to understand here is how death certificates are filled out. If there is no underlying cause, that doesn't mean the person is healthy. When it comes to filling out death certificates, take COVID-19 as an example. This is the norm of what you would see. You would see someone who maybe died of respiratory failure. This respiratory failure would be a cause of pneumonia, which would be a cause of COVID-19. These things listed in addition to COVID-19 on a death certificate are considered additional underlying causes or comorbidities. This kind of death certificate would not be included in the count that he is talking about where COVID-19 is the only cause of death listed. It is absolutely ridiculous to say that only death certificates that have COVID-19 as the sole cause of death mean anything in this context. Right, right. That's that's kind of a really old myth. Um, I remember... I remember even in 2020, uh, that myth was kind of uh, going viral, that only only a small percentage of deaths are actually caused by COVID. But what people are really seeing is um, they're looking at the percentage of deaths where COVID is listed as the only cause of death on the death certificate. But a normal death certificate of somebody who is in the hospital suffering of COVID and dying of it is not going to only list COVID. It's, it'll have something like uh, respiratory failure as a result of pneumonia, as a result of COVID. Those are three things. And so a death certificate like that, where clearly COVID induced the pneumonia, which we know viral um, respiratory pathogens can damage your lungs to the point where bacterial or viral pneumonia comes comes up and then that results in your respiratory failure that's a nor- that's a completely uh that's a, that makes complete sense for a course of covid from you know onset to unfortunate death uh but the small numbers the small percentage of death certificates which only list covid uh focusing on those and pretending that those are the only COVID deaths is just complete nonsense. And Um, the broader question then is this whole, well, are they really dying with COVID or for COVID? Uh, Disclaimer, I mean, most hospitals are testing uh, every patient for COVID, but 
can you kind of distinguish because again it's this push by anti-vaxxers to minimize how many people are actually dying from covid uh where you know my mentality is i mean most americans have some i think the number i, I read was like 45 percent of americans have one of six comorbidities that mm. covid threatens so can you talk about that whole with covid versus for co uh, of covid and kind of debunk yeah, sure. So, I mean, it is a it is a valid question to ask, but medicine generally has an answer to that. Um, whenever a patient comes into the hospital, yes, they are tested for COVID. And uh, currently, if you say break your leg and you go to the hospital, they test you for COVID and you're positive, that can be counted as a hospital admission, uh, a COVID hospital admission. But uh, so that can confound the hospitalization numbers, but what's really more telling is when you look at, um, ICU admissions, deaths, and also excess deaths, that's a much better way to get a sense of how COVID might be impacting uh, a population. So, um, but beyond that, a clinician, uh, that is seeing a patient is going to understand the medical history and the course of the patient once they enter the hospital. So if a patient were to die and the clinician listed uh, COVID on the death certificate, there's a reason for that. That means that in their professional opinion and taking into account the clinical work that was done on the patient, their medical history, and their course of progression in the hospital, that clinician thinks that COVID-19 contributed to the death of that patient. So I think that is important to understand uh, when anti-vaxxers are saying those kinds of things is that it's not just, it's not just pulled out of the air. It's the judgment of a medical professional most of the time that is deciding whether or not COVID played a significant role in the patient's death. And also um, you can have diabetes, you know, other uh, issues uh, and you're, living with those illnesses, but COVID kind of puts triggers uh, those other things and puts you over the edge to be hospitalized and die. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's if a diabetic patient could have lived 10, 15, 20 more years, but COVID cut that short. I mean, I think that's, I think that's meaningful, right? Like you would want a diabetic family member to live much longer uh, if they could. But if COVID comes in and stops that, then COVID did that. And can you uh, respond to the uh, anti-vaxxers saying, well, it makes the hospital money to inflate oh. the amount of people die, uh, dying of COVID because uh, that means, you know, they, they're going to continue profiting. Yeah. So um, it, that's not really true. Um, hospitals, when they uh, take in a COVID patient, usually that patient is going to require more care than a normal uh, patient. They're going to require uh, medication. They're going to require a bed. They're going to require uh, maybe monoclonals, which are really expensive, uh, at least back when monoclonals were more in use. Um, but the hospital gets reimbursed for all of that. So the hospital is going to get reimbursed for the resources they use on the patient so that they can replenish their stock of resources. So 
that is one misconception. Uh, it is true that hospitals can make uh, more money if they're treating uh, more and more sick patients. However, faking that would be fraud. Uh, that would be very much against the law. That would be very, uh, that would be something that would be looked for in audits and uh, most likely caught, uh, especially if it's happening on a large scale. So I would say if you have evidence of widespread fraud of hospitals lying about uh, what patients they're treating, then I would love to see that evidence, but I don't think there is any. Right. And can you uh, respond to, uh, you know, all the people we've talked about today, but in general, uh, they basically insist you were lied to. They lied that uh, the vaccine um, stops the spread, that uh, getting vaccinated, uh, you, you know, you're protected from contracting it. Obviously, you know, breakthrough infections became the norm uh, as new variants came. Uh, but it, that kind of seems to be like the modus operandi for most of these anti-vaxxers mm -hmm. because it won't stop you from getting it. Therefore it's useless and not an actual vaccine. You know, they're calling it gene therapy. Uh, uh, obviously right. it would be in an ideal world, uh, have a vaccine that, you know, totally covers you from infection. But to my knowledge, that's, that's not how most vaccines work. Uh, right. And can you kind of talk about, even though it doesn't stop you from being infected, what the data says on, uh, the, the value of being vaccinated. Yeah, totally. So that, that's a misconception that a lot of people have. Um, they think that, oh, you know, I got, I got vaccinated for polio and I never got polio. I got vaccinated for measles and I never got measles. How come I'm vaccinated for COVID and I'm getting infected with COVID? Well, every vaccine, including those polio and measles vaccines, didn't actually protect you from getting infected. It protected you from severe disease. So with the example of, of polio, um, the reason you say you never got polio is because you never got paralyzed. Otherwise, it would just manifest, polio infection would just manifest as maybe a fever or other generic cold-like uh, symptoms. And you would never know that you had polio. But because you were vaccinated and you have that immune memory response, your immune memory was able to kick in and stop polio from spreading to your central nervous system and paralyzing you. So that's why you never got polio because you were vaccinated and you didn't get severe disease. Same thing with measles. Uh, severe disease with measles is, you know, you get the rash and you progress to all the terrible things that measles can do, but the vaccine prevents that. And makes it otherwise probably just uh, manifest as generic cold symptoms, but it didn't stop you from getting infected. And COVID vaccination is the same thing. If you are vaccinated and you're infected, then your immune memory is going to help you help prevent you from getting really severely ill, but it's not going to prevent that infection. So you're going to feel those generic cold symptoms. And because everyone is conscious of COVID going around and you're testing yourself, then you realize, oh, I've been infected. But ideally, and most of the time, this is the reality, your immune memory granted by the COVID vaccines prevents you from getting severely ill. And the uh, ironic thing is uh, anti-vaxxers push this as like, 
oh, you see, the, these new strands are less deadly, less people getting hospitalized. Uh, it's mild. Well, part of, well, mild, it's different for different people. You know, your mild could be my severe, even if you're vaccinated. Mm. But um, a lot of, for a lot of people, you're getting those more lesser cold symptoms because you're vaccinated. That's why it's, mm. quote, mild. Yes, exactly. Um, Omicron had an apparent mildness thanks to both vaccination and uh, population immunity from infection. Um, people who like to say that Omicron is mild uh, often don't mention the fact that Omicron killed the highest number of children. Uh, it killed more children than Delta and all the previous variants combined. So you have to keep that in mind if you want to call Omicron mild. Uh Two more questions. I want to play this clip because it has so many things wrong in it. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, it's another Jimmy Doozy. Uh, this one is with Steve uh, Kirsch. Uh, oh, God. He's an entrepreneur. I don't think he's got any scientific expertise. Uh, no. But he's pushing that potentially 600,000 people have died from taking the COVID vaccine, which is clearly not true, um, and kind of pushing this conspiracy about excess deaths and they're not showing us the data. Uh, let's take a look. Because we look at the Ferris data and we think it looks like half a million people have been killed. But that clearly has to be wrong because the CDC says nobody's been killed. Maybe, you know, you know a few people with AstraZeneca and, you know, but man, not very many people have been killed. And we're thinking like, yeah, half a million. So we're kind of, you know, one of us is wrong. So, so like one of the questions is, hey, there's there are over 15,000 excess deaths in the VAERS system, and the VAERS system is underreported by a factor of 41, which you can verify because we use the, the exact same calculation techniques that the CDC has written about and has used in the past. It's just that they won't use them now. <laughs> and so when you take 41 times 15,000, you get 600,000 deaths. And so my question to the CDC is, hey, guys, if the vaccine didn't kill those people, then what did? And nobody in the entire world can answer that question, Jimmy. And so that's the, nobody... question, that's the question we've been asking on this show. Dr. John Campbell's been asking on his show. A lot of people are now asking this question. How do you account for the excess deaths? Because the establishment says they're not coming from COVID. That's, uh, I've heard him say that a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, Steve is, Steve is just totally clueless. He's one of the worst anti-vaxxers out there. Um, he doesn't know how to use VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. Uh, he claims that there's an underreporting factor. Uh, that underreporting factor is not for every single uh, disease or ailment that can be reported. It's just a general underreporting factor based mostly on the fact that most people are not going to report sore arm or headache or i got you know i felt crummy the next day like most people are not going to fill out a verified report saying like oh you know i went home and my arm kind of hurt and the next day i kind of felt felt a little crummy like no, most people are not going to do that that that's what it means by there's an underreporting factor you cannot blanketly apply that to something like death, which is much more likely to be reported if it happens close in time with the vaccine. And that's all that variable report. 
is events that happen close in time with the vaccine. So it does not represent causality. It does not represent an event that is truly caused by the vaccine. It's just a report so that experts can see all those reports, keep track of them, and notice any trends. So if they're getting a large increase in reports of, say, these blood clots, then they might say, okay, let's look into this. Let's check these medical medical history of these reports. Let's verify them. Let's see how many of these events we would expect to happen normally in this population without a vaccine and see if there's anything wrong here. Those are the kinds of questions that researchers might ask. So you can't just take VAERS and prop it up as like truth with no analysis, which is what Steve does all the time. And also um, you kind of explain VAERS because he's making it seem like VAERS is like a government agency that's producing data. My understanding is the VAERS system is just kind of like open source. Anybody can post to VAERS, but he's anybody seem like the VAERS data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anybody can post to VAERS. Um, during the uh, vaccine rollout, since COVID vaccines were under an EUA, it was required that doctors would report um, anything that they saw in their patients happening close in time to the vaccine. So because, because it's an EUA, you know, people want to be really sure that they're getting the best data and the best safety surveillance is happening. So uh, there was a large increase in reports to VAERS uh, during the COVID vaccine rollout. But uh, again, none of those are causal at face value. You have to do the work to causally link those reports to vaccination itself. And yeah, anybody can send in a report. Um, one guy several years ago in order to demonstrate how in order to demonstrate just that, that anybody can write about anything on bears. Some guy wrote that a vaccine turned him into the incredible Hulk. And that report was there in bears. So you really have to do a lot more work than what Steve does in order to make these claims. And the claim that 600,000 people have been killed by vaccine, that's just insanely ridiculous. I mean, you can go right now to our world and data and look at the excess mortality uh, for um, many countries. Um, and you'll see that you, you just looking at the numbers, just looking at the peaks and excess death in the US over the past two years, uh, you would definitely notice 600,000 people dying uh, all, all after the vaccine rollout. Um, but we don't. We see, we see peaks in excess death that track really closely with confirmed COVID deaths. Um, I'm going to send you... Uh, I'll just send you this that I'm looking at. <clears throat> um, you can see the peaks in excess death since January of 2020. And every time excess deaths start rising, shortly after confirmed COVID deaths start rising. 
because it takes time to confirm them as COVID deaths. But where in that data set would you see 600,000 people who didn't die from COVID but died from vaccines? It's just not there. So Steve makes just incredibly wild, nonsensical claims and consistently embarrasses himself uh, with no shame whatsoever. It, it also goes back to the original point. Uh, this doesn't mean never question people with letters next to their name or MDs or scientists, mm -hmm. but people like Steve Kirsch, Jimmy Dore, Russell Brand, even John Campbell to a certain degree, who I believe mm -hmm. his training was in nursing, they don't have yeah. the expertise to even understand these studies. Um, and to them, well, that's, you're an elitist. Oh, expertise. Well, right. science, yeah, I, I would probably want expertise um, when considering whether I'm going to take a vaccine or have my children vaccinated or mm -hmm. understanding, you know, complicated things, uh, unless you are conspiratorial to believe that all the nurses, all the doctors, all the experts are just in one giant cabal uh, to right. get you sick. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, I think one thing anti-vaxxers just, and just the general public in general should understand is that, yeah, it's okay to ask questions, but realize that that's what scientists do for a living. They always are asking questions and trying to answer them. Asking and answering questions is how they write papers, publish findings and make a living and make an interesting, fulfilling career for themselves they are constantly asking questions and answering them. And I can guarantee you that 99.9% .9 of the time, if you have a question about vaccines, scientists have already thought of that question and probably answered it. So just, I think people in general have to just regain a respect for expertise. Um, no, experts are not infallible, but if you really take time to dig into the literature and understand how deep scientists go as a community, not just as one person who goes on CNN and says, and says something wrong, but as a community, scientists are really good at coming up with answers. And your answers to the questions that you're asking are probably already there in the literature. And also as youtube hosts or wherever you're hosting this content uh it's less profitable to do this and i have had to do this uh, at points with topics totally different than covid where i thought i had the goods on something or i thought i uh, had like a eureka smoking gun thing mm. on something and then i reached out to somebody who was an expert in it or had written about it and they told mm -hmm. me oh actually what you think you have that's wrong and it's let mm -hmm. down because like, shit, I thought I had a smoking gun uh, story here, but I'm right. glad I reached out to this person who knows more than me to tell me I misunderstood something or I con mm -hmm. conflated two data points um, because I would have looked like an idiot or put out dangerous misinformation. In that case, it wasn't going to kill anyone. In this case, if some of these people would just reach out to you or others uh, rather than trying to figure it out while they're shooting the video, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, they would realize that they're confusing percentages with something else or, you know, confusing, uh, crowd, crowdsource data. I mean, even John Campbell has 
frame things like this coming from the British uh, Medical uh, Institute when, like, as you said in your videos, they don't make they don't make as like assertions or advocate for things. They're uh, yeah. form for people to publish. So it seems mm -hmm. like a lot of this misinformation, if people had pure motives and weren't just trying to get a lot of clicks, build their YouTube channel, subscribers, money, uh, could be uh, diminished if before doing the video or before doing the live stream, they reached out to experts to make sure uh, what they think their understanding, uh, make sure they have it right, which unfortunately isn't happening. Uh, my last question, so, something that has bothered me, and you know, I'm 36, I got COVID uh, early on before there was vaccines, is kind of this casual, you hear it from the people we've been talking about, Jimmy and others, that this is just something that affects older people. Uh, really? And for the most part, it's only older people who are dying and they say it in a way like, well, who cares then? It's, it's older people dying. Uh, mm -hmm. Joe Rogan, you know, infamously in the beginning told if you're healthy in 21, no, you don't need to get vaccinated. Um, obviously the data shows the majority of deaths have been in over 50 year people who are over the age of 50 mm -hmm. still matter, uh, those, yeah. those deaths. Yeah. Uh, but this claim that there's really not a lot of risk to, you know, people in their twenties, thirties, forties, children, uh, can you address that? Because I mean, I know people in my life who have long COVID for two years who were healthy mm -hmm. in their 20s and their 30s and now uh, in, one in, in one case can't work anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And I know people who have lost parents who were in their 40s yeah. to COVID. So by the data, just because it's overwhelmingly people over the age of 50 dying, is there relatively no risk to, to people under 50? I would not say relatively no risk, no. So, um, yeah, all, all that you said there is true. Most of the deaths have been in older people. Those deaths still matter. Um, you know, I think that someone would be lying if they said that their parent dying at age 65 or 55 wouldn't matter. Um, I mean... That's just a, it's kind of a big lack of empathy thing that I think has been driving that, driving that narrative, you know, the, the, the idea that, oh, these old people are dying. So my freedoms shouldn't be, shouldn't be uh, impacted, but really we, COVID does affect younger people too. Um, so I'll just talk about, I guess, uh, children, uh, the group that people typically think are at least risk of COVID. And it's true that COVID uh, does pose a relatively low risk compared to older people, to children, but it's not no risk and it is a significant risk. So in the U S um, so far about 1500 kids uh, under the age 19, I believe uh, have died of COVID. Um, I think we could all agree that that's, worth preventing but not only that tens of thousands more have been hospitalized um and more are suffering long-term complications from covid and the majority of that is preventable with vaccines now that's just what happened over the past two or so years but covid is here to stay 
So if we keep replenishing the population with immunologically naive kids, kids who have never seen COVID before, those numbers are just going to, those waves are, are just going to keep happening. And those numbers are going to just stay around. Kids will keep dying of COVID. Kids will keep getting, getting hospitalized with COVID and kids will keep suffering from it. And we can prevent that just by vaccinating them. And vaccines in the youngest age groups have the most favorable safety profile. It's, I mean, in, in the youngest age groups, we see practically no myocarditis. We see very low reactogenicity rates. We see very good immune responses. And it's just, if you're going to get protected against COVID, it's safest to do it as early as possible and avoid being one of those unlucky unlucky parents that might have to bury their kid because of COVID. I mean, that that's really the reality of it. Like, you just don't want to take that risk. Uh, I don't know why you would choose a road of more risk for your kid when you know that you can send them on a road of less risk. Well, also, so, even yeah. if you would, even if you wanted to believe that COVID, it's no different than the flu. I don't think most parents would want, you know, think it's okay for their kid to get the flu two, three times a year. I mean, that's yeah. not exactly good for your, you know, uh, long-term health. Yeah. And, you know, people vaccinate their kids against flu. I mean, not a ton, not a ton of people do, but they should. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, it just comes down to these, these deaths are happening. These hospitalizations are happening. This suffering is happening and it's preventable. So we should try to prevent it. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Uh, Dr. Dan Wilson is a molecular biologist and has a great channel, Debunk the Funk. Uh, and what I like about your channel too is like you come with the receipts. So uh, if you don't have a ton of time, uh, which most people don't, videos are relatively short, you know, 10 to 20 minutes. Uh, but you have the links uh, for uh, everything right. you're kind of debunking in the description. So uh, I kind of alternate. If I can't watch the whole video, you know, I'll hear a point and then click on the link under. So it's been helpful because right. there's so many uh, experts on Twitter and you'll <laughs> flooded with articles all day. Uh, so I like, you know, you and uh, one or two other people. Uh, it's kind of like my quick hits to uh, mm. when you're being inundated with this anti-vax, COVID isn't real, uh, COVID nihilism. Uh, so everybody subscribe, uh, debunk the funk, and uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, this was fun. Absolutely. Take care.